Jesus even said, here's how people will know that you are my disciples. And, and we talked about this last week. By the way that you love one another. That you love one another as I have loved you. That's how people will know that you are my follower. That you are a disciple of mine. And so... Um, I shared with you um, how they were referred to as Christians, and I gave you um, an example of a, of a Roman historian. He was also a Roman senator, and uh, he wrote in, in somewhere around AD 116, a long, long, long time ago, AD 116, he wrote an about, uh, he wrote about um, something that happened in AD 64. He wrote about uh, the fires that broke out. There were six days of fires that broke out in in Rome. And this Roman historian, this uh, non-Christian Roman historian, wrote about um, you know, the circumstances that surrounded these fires in Rome. And here's what he says about them. Here's what he writes. He writes, Consequently, to get rid of the report, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations. Look what it says, called Christians by the populace. So here's an example of, of, a, of, an, of, of somebody who was a historian, not a Christian, who, who says the, these people were called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, so maybe you can relate to this a little bit, but um, you know, he thought that the, the reason why they were called Christians because he thought that Christ was the last name of Jesus. So he was here that Jesus was his first name, Christ was his last name, but that's not what it is. Christ is not a, the last name of Jesus, it's a, it was a title, but he thought that that was where it originated from. So Christus, from whom the name has its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procreators, Pontius Pilate, and the most mischievous superstition. It says this, thus checked for the moment but again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil. So he describes, you know, Christianity. He describes it as the evil. He says that it was checked for a while. And so what he's referring to, he says that he's referring to, you know, how Christians were treated. He was referring to the fact that they were considered to be evil. And then he goes on and says this, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful. So he's writing about how Rome was. It was hideous. It was shameful. From every part of the world, find their center and become popular. Then he goes on and says this. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Now, he's saying that Nero blamed the fires on Christians. He, Nero most likely was the one who actually set Rome on fire himself, but he blamed the fires on Christians. He used Christians as the scapegoat from, of the fires. And so he, there was a bounty. If you were considered to be a Christian at this time, 64 AD of when this was written, this is probably around the same time that um, the apostle Peter and, and Paul were, were martyred. They were, Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was, was beheaded. And this was around the same time when the fires broke out. And so there was a bounty on Christians' heads. And so anybody who was a Christian, they were brought in and, and, you know, and arrested. He says that in those that pleaded guilty, then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city 
as of hatred against mankind. So there was, it wasn't so much about that they set the city on fire as more so about that they just were hated for being Christians. Mockery, and this is now he describes, this is a member, this is a, a Roman historian. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. This is a picture of outside of biblical source, a picture of how Christians were viewed, how Christians were treated. First of all, they didn't call themselves Christians according to Tacticus. He says they were referred to as Christians. They were called Christians by the populace. And then he tells us how they were persecuted at this time, how they were treated at this time. And it was a, in a time where, you know, everything was hideous and, and you know, the, the, everything in Rome was vile and everything, you know, that became popular was was, was, was first you know, brought about in, in Rome. He says, this is how Christians were treated at that time. And you got to imagine this scenario, this scene. I mean, being a Christian and, and having a bounty on your head, hiding you know, so that you wouldn't be arrested, so that you wouldn't have you know, the skins of beasts put on you and fed to dogs. You know, thinking about the fact that they were you know, treated and set on fire as nightly illumination at a dinner party. This is how Christians were treated in Rome, around Rome. Yet Christianity still took off. Yet Christianity still endured through the Roman Empire. As a matter of fact, here's what's so interesting about history. History teaches us that a short 300 years later, Rome is now the Christian capital of the world. And in, and, in, and in history, you know, that, that tells us that, wow, within a short period of time, 300 years was a short period of time, that in a short period of time, it went from that kind of Rome to now, 300 years later, to now it is the Christian capital of the world. How does that happen? And if you were to talk to a Christian at that time, when they were hiding in their barns or hiding in the, in the basements of their houses, hoping that nobody would find them because they're Christians. If you would have told a Christian at that time, hey, and you know in a short 300 years that this city is going to be adorned with crosses? That everywhere in this city, there's going to be crosses, you know, not just wood crosses mounted to buildings, but just fixed on their structure. Everywhere that you look, there's crosses. And it's going to symbolize one cross of one crucifixion of one man named Jesus. You know what they would have said to you? They would have laughed in your face. You're saying that everything hideous in this city, everything that's vile in this city, of how it is now, you're telling me in 300 short years, it's going to honor Jesus? You've got to be kidding. As a matter of fact, I want to show you an image. I hope we have this image. And I hope you can see it. The red form, the red-shaped form, is a picture of what was called um, Nero Circus. Nero Circus. 
it was there and where the where the red shape form is where it was there where Nero persecuted Christians. It was it was at that location. It was at that place at that time. You know, in 64, 65 A.D., where he would take Christians and put wild beast skin over them and feed them to wild animals. It was at that time where they would be set on fire. It was at that time where they would be nailed to crosses just like Peter was. And he would do that. Nero would do that as, as entertainment. But now if you see the green, the, the shape, the, the green, that is the way that it is now. And that green shape is a, is a picture of, of what is now known as St. Peter's Basilica. What was once a place where Christians, where it was a once a place where Peter was crucified is now a place where Peter, Saint Peter, the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter is now honored. They say that that's where his tomb is in that place right now. You could go to Rome. You could go to Saint Peter's Basilica. You probably see it on TV on Christmas Eve and Easter morning. You probably see it on TV there. But I'm telling you, within a short amount of time, this is what changed. How is that possible? Because there were Christians there? Nope. Because there was something different than what we know as Christianity. Here's where it all got started, and here's where I want us to start when, it, when we talk about how this began and what changed everything, how it went from, you know, vile Rome to now Christian Rome, how it went from the most, you know, disgusting place, hideous place in the world to now a place where, where Jesus is honored. How did that change? And how, how, how can that change in your world? How can, you, how can you know that this can change, how it can go from one thing to another? It can be a 180 degree turn, a 180 degree transformation. And I believe it can happen in the city. I believe it can happen in your job place. I believe it can happen in your schools. I believe it can happen in your home. I believe that that could happen if we just learned something that Jesus teaches so what was it? What was it? What was the speech? Jesus gave this speech, this, this message that began this movement, began the, 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 the revolution of, of transformation and change from bad to good. And I believe that, man, there can be little Romes in your life. Do you, do you understand? There can be little Romes in your life. There can be something from that is, you know, doesn't work and is not working well and is not going the way that you want it to go and, and, and viewed as maybe vile and, 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 and viewed as hideous. But yet, what is it in your life that can change, that can transform? What is it in your life that you can experience God's presence in an amazing, incredible way? Well, here's the speech that kicks it all off. Are you ready for this? This is the message that, that, that inspired you know, followers of Jesus to be followers of Jesus. He says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word blessed means happy, by the way. Happy. Blessed or happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed or happy are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Boy, that sounds like something exciting, doesn't it? Here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Happy are, maybe, happy are, I'll read it for you. Happy are the poor, the sad, the soft, there it is. Happy are the poor, the sad, the soft, the satisfied, the pure, the peaceful, persecuted, slighted people who can't wait to get a reward in heaven. Doesn't that kind of sum it up? Like, happy are those. Now, he's saying, listen, listen, I want you to understand that you're happy, poor, sad, soft, satisfied, pure, peaceful, persecuted, and insulted people who just can't wait to go to heaven and get a reward. Doesn't that sound like it's going to just change the world? And at this time, the people are listening, and there's probably hundreds, maybe thousands of people standing there listening to Jesus telling them this, like, happy are you who are poor, happy are you who are sad. And they're like, yeah, we are sad because we're under the oppression of Rome right now. I don't know if you realize this or not. And I don't know if you are the Christ because you're supposed to be the political power that's going to get us out of this oppression. So yeah, right now we are sad. Oh, by the way, right now we are poor. Oh, you know how far it gets you to be soft in this culture? Oh, you know how far it does? I mean, this culture, you have to remember, you have to put it all in the context. In this culture, might was right. In other words, there was a pecking order mentality. It was a survival of the fittest. It was whoever had the longest sword was gonna be in power. Whoever had the strongest army was gonna rule. That was how culture was at that time. Morality was an, was an afterthought. Decency was an afterthought. Compassion, kindness, peacefulness, grace. You know what those were? Those were all vices for those who were mentally weak. That's what those were. And Jesus is telling them, hey, Happy are you who are poor. Happy are you who are sad. Happy are you who are soft, satisfied, pure, peaceful. Peaceful? Jesus, really? Peaceful? And their response was similar to how yours is right now. Oh. This is all you got? Can't you do like a miracle right now or something like that? Like, like spoose this up a little bit, like, make, you know, make this more interesting. Like, can't you do, and Jesus is like, no, no, this is what, this is what you are. Now, Jesus now understands the way that we are, and he understood how they were at that time, understanding how their culture was and, and what was viewed as, you know, good and what was viewed as bad and what was viewed as what was realistic. And so Jesus said this, listen, listen, let me just simplify it for you. If you can put that up there, Michelle, put that up there. He says, you are, you are, the salt of the earth. Can you go back to that, Michelle? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. 
He says, I want you to, let me just simplify it for you. Because you're not going to remember, you know, happy are you who's sad and, you know, soft and peaceful. And you're not going to remember persecuted and insulted people that can't wait to get the reward in heaven. You're not going to remember all that. But I just want you to remember this. You are the salt of the earth. You're not Christian. That can look so many different ways. You're not Christian. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let's look at salt for a second. When Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth, what he was saying was this, that salt is, was a preservative. So when Jesus hears them, hears them say, you are the salt of the earth, he knew, they knew exactly what he was saying, that salt is a, that preserves decay. Salt was a valuable commodity. As a matter of fact, have you ever heard the, the phrase, you know, he's not worth his salt or she's not worth her salt? Okay, it was used, that phrase derives from this, this idea that some, sometimes people, especially in Roman culture, would pay people with salt. They would pay people with salt because they didn't have a refrigeration system like we have today. And so in order for them to preserve their, their food from decay, in order for them to preserve their food so that things wouldn't stink, they would put it in salt. And so when Jesus tells them, listen, 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 you are the salt of the earth. You're the one that is gonna preserve decay. Without it, the earth is gonna rot. Without it, the, the culture is gonna stink. Without it, your world that you live in is gonna decay. And again, we can't understand that kind of worldview at that time where things like virtues that we see as virtues like compassion and kindness and peacefulness and gentleness, these are virtues for us in this culture. Do you know why those things, those things are virtues for us? You know why when you see somebody that is acts out in grace or acts out in mercy, you view that as good? The reason why you view that as good, and if, and, and if you don't believe this, you should travel around other parts of the, of the world and see where they still have this worldview of that might is right, that it's survival of the fittest, that there's a pecking order, that still exists in our world. But we have the benefit of living in this country where those things like mercy and grace and compassion and peace are considered virtues. You know why? Because years and years ago, Judeo-Christian principles were embedded into our culture. And today we still benefit from those. Years and years ago, men and women who had Christian principles, Judeo-Christian principles, Judeo-Christian morals, embedded those Jesus principles into culture, and we still have benefit from those today. But that's not how it is in, in, in many parts of the world today. But we have the opportunity to benefit from those things. We have the, the benefit in our country to view people as important, view people as precious. But we even have seen within our own culture 
times where people have stopped being salt, stopped being a preservative, and have allowed things in our culture to decay. We have seen within our own culture where men and women, like it was back in you know, the Roman times, that men and women were viewed as less than, they were viewed as, or men and children, women and children were viewed as inferior, that w- children were viewed as property. But we've even seen that within our own country, that people who have been created equal have been viewed as property or have been segregated from our society. What is that? That's the current of culture. That's the current of something that is called sin. And when Jesus was talking to these groups of people and what he's saying to you and to me today is this. Listen, you are meant to be a preservative from decay. That's why you hear you know, things like sex trafficking. Did you know that there was between 20 and 30 million slaves today? Between 20 and 30, estimated between 20 and 30 million slaves today. Many of them are children. You say, what is that? It's very simple. They have a different worldview than what you have. But we still see things in our culture. You know who has the highest divorce rate in the whole world? America. You know who has the highest rate of of incarceration in, in America? America, (laughs) gave it away too soon. You know who has, you know, single parent homes, children grow up in single parent homes, many of them fatherless, America. Do you know by 2015, or excuse me, 2050, that half of the people that attend church will be in church by 2050? We need more salt. You know what our culture needs? More salt. You know what your world needs? More salt. You know what your workplace needs? More salt. You know what your home needs? More salt. It doesn't need a Christian. It needs salt. Jesus didn't stand up before hundreds of people and go, hey, you're, you're gonna be Christians. Figure that out. That's gonna be confusing. No, he made it very clear. Hey, you are the salt of the earth. Go and be a preservative for those that need to see it. You know, we've, so, we've advanced so much, haven't we? In, in areas of technology, science, medicine, education. But you know what we've forgotten? We've forgotten to advance in the areas of morality. We've forgotten as a, as a nation, as a country, as a people, to advance in the areas of, of integrity and character. We care so much about technolo- technological advancements or medical advancements or scientific advancements that we've forgotten about ourselves and the way that we're supposed to be as human beings. John MacArthur says this. He says, instead of improving morals, modern man has invented more ways to corrupt himself. Instead of improving morals, instead of improving our character, instead of becoming the person that God wants us to become, and that is to to be a preservative on this earth, instead of that, we've 
instead, we've improved in advancements of, of different areas and different things, and it's corrupted man. It's corrupted us. It's corrupted ourselves. So Jesus is saying, listen, I get the kind of world that you live in. I get the kind of world that you live in. But I want you to be the salt of the earth. Because Christians don't embed themselves in culture, but salt does. Disciples do. He says in Matthew 5, 14, he says this. He says, not only are you the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 14. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, not only are you salt, but you are light. You are light. Light, he says, light always penetrates the dark. Light is always, is always penetrating the dark. That's what light does. So when they hear light, they know that, man, when I light that lantern in my house, they heard this when Jesus was teaching us, man, when I light that lantern into my house, man, it penetrates the dark. And he says, not only are you salt, but you are the light of the world. Look, go back to the verse for a second. Look what he says here. He says, not, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That word set means this, to be intentionally placed, to be intentionally positioned. Did you know, did you know that you are intentionally placed where you are today? You say, no, 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 pastor, you don't understand my story. I was transferred here. I, my job, I was out west. The weather was nicer. It was sunny all the time. You guys high five each other when it gets sunny here. But man, there, it was always sunny. And, and man, it, you don't understand. I had to be transferred over to this area because I was in the automotive field, you know, and this is where I needed to be. This is Motor City. So I had to be here. And listen, I, it wasn't, I wasn't just purposely positioned here. I wasn't providentially positioned here. I was I had, it was just random. Did you know that it wasn't random? That it wasn't random. It, what, what seems as random, it wasn't random. That God, when he says that, when he says it was set on a hill, that means that there was providentially positioned. He providentially positioned you to be where you are. For what re reason? For what purpose? To be the light of the world. That's the reason why you were set here. That's the reason why you're positioned here. And again, more pushback. No, 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 I met somebody online and they lived here. And I just, I wanted to be where they were. So I came out here and I moved to this area, but now we're not even together anymore. And I'm trying to figure out how to get back to where I came from, but I can't afford it right now because I came out here without a job because he was supposed to support me, but he's not with me anymore. So I don't know how I'm gonna get back. Listen, I understand all these random things that you think happen, but let me tell you something. You are the light of the world and you were set here. For what purpose? To be the light of the world. That means wherever you are, whatever you do, at your job, at your school, in your home, your call is this, I'm the light of the world. 
And whatever it is that's dark, whatever it is that in culture where you find yourself and, and you may think like, man, my job is like Rome, man. It's vile, it's hideous, you know. But let me, let me tell you something. You were called to be the light of the world. And he says, he says in verse, verse 15, he says, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. It's intentional. He, you, you light a lamp, you put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Light only penetrates dark. Even if you don't think that you're qualified. Even if you think, I'm too old, or I'm too young, or I, don't, I haven't been a Christian for very long, or you know, I've only been going to church for a short time, or you know, I don't, people at my job, man, they really think that I'm you know, kind of weird already, and I, you know, they know I go to church, and I just wait for them to ask me questions. Listen, listen, light always penetrates dark. You are called, you are set, you are positioned. Listen, you can continue to be a Christian and just, you know, kind of go about your day and, and make Christianity just about Sunday morning and, and your faith just about Sunday morning and singing a few songs and, you know, you know, laughing at the pastor's jokes and nodding your head like you are trying to follow along and, or fighting to stop falling asleep or whatever it is that you think I was a good Christian today because I didn't fall asleep for more than five minutes in church service. You can go about that life, but listen, that's not what Jesus, that's not how Rome went from hideous and vile within a short time, 300 years, became the Christian capital of the world. It's, it, that happened, why? Not because there were Christians in Rome, but because there was salt in Rome, because there was light in Rome. You have a little Rome to work on, and you are called not to be a Christian, don't be Christian. Be salt. Be light. Because light always penetrates the dark. Because salt always preserves decay. It always does. And you may not feel qualified and I don't feel qualified and you may not have all the answers and I don't have all the answers, but let me tell you something. Just be salt. Because when you're salt and you're light, it's gonna light up the all for all who are in the house. All who are in the house to see, all who are in your school, all who are at your job, all who are in your house to see. Then he says this, Verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see how good of a Christian you are. No, it doesn't say that. You're like, where's that verse? I don't remember seeing that verse. No, it says, he says this, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. That you shine, you shine in such a way that people see your good works. And that, that phrase, that, those words, good works, talks about this idea of going just above and beyond. Like doing something for other people that are just, that's just you're, they're gonna go, wow, that's awesome. Wow, they're amazing. Wow, they did 
this for me and I didn't deserve it. This is like, this is like forgiving somebody when they don't deserve to be forgiven. This is like going above and beyond for your employees and they're, even though maybe they don't deserve it, but you're just going to go above and beyond for them. You're going to figure out ways to serve them. You're going to figure out ways to serve your family and your kids and your spouse in such a way that they say, wow, they're shining bright. And it isn't for your glory. It's not for you because you know what Christian's like? Christian's like, hey, hey, uh, you know, I did that for you. You know, here you go. Pat me on the back. I did that. I did such a nice thing for you. You know, let me know about it. Oh, I know, I know I'm great. Yeah, let me hear. I know I'm awesome. Yeah, I did that for you. You know what, they, you know what Christians do? Christians think it's for their glory. It isn't for their glory. It's for his and light says, listen, listen, I'm going to shine. I'm going to do this. I'm going to shine so bright and I'm going to want people to see my good works because I want to be, listen, listen, I want to be a dot connector to a loving heavenly father. I hope that that's what you want to be. I hope you want to be someone who is just a dot connector. Somebody that says, hey, look at my life and I hope that my life reflects who my heavenly father is because that's who Jesus was. Jesus came so that people can see who God was. Jesus came so that people can see what God was like. And you are called to be the salt of the earth. And I'm called to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, so that people can see what God is like. You are the ones that are connecting the dots to see how good God is. Is. And you don't do it for any other reason other than that. Somebody who is light doesn't do it for the reason of for their own glory and their own edification and their own, you know, sense of, you know, fulfillment and peace and, and that you did a good thing so you feel good about yourself. No, no, no. Light does it so that they can reflect who our Heavenly Father is. Salt always preserves decay. Light always, always penetrates the dark. This is what radically transformed a culture. This is what radically transformed cultures all around the world. This is what radically, at one point or another, radically transformed this country. And knowing that there's certain things that are virtues and certain things that aren't. Certain things that are right and certain things that are not. Certain things that are going to, you know, corrupt our culture, decay our culture. But we are called to be the salt, the preservative. We are called to be the light of the world. A number of uh, years ago, I went with uh, somebody who asked me to go to uh, the Oakland County Court. Um, they did some things, not important, but they asked me to come and be with them, pray with them. Um, and so I did. I got there, um, went to the court area, courtroom area, um, found myself a seat next to the person that asked me to come and pray with them. As I was waiting, 
uh, for you know there to get them to get their their hearing in front of the judge. Um, there was probably I don't know six to eight uh, inmates. Those were incarcerated for different different things, um, waiting to hear the verdict of what was going to happen to them. I'll never forget it. One after another, judge gave the sentence, gave the verdict of of each one. Never forget it. One man walked up to the podium, stood in front in front of the judge, and his lawyer standing next to him, um, pleading with the judge so that his client could get a lesser charge. As he's the, talking to the judge, I noticed coming in was three uh, young people, probably between the ages of 16 and 20. One of them was in a wheelchair. They come into the courtroom, and I noticed that they are holding paper in their hands, something that they, they, writ, they wrote. The man begins to speak in addressing the three young people that came into the courtroom. And he begins pleading with them and asking for their forgiveness and saying, I'm sorry for what happened. I never meant for this to happen the way that it happened. And they're just, tears are rolling down their face as this man's talking to them. And the judge interrupts and said, sir, you had so many opportunities to avoid here. I would never, to avoid your presence here. He said, when you stole that woman's car and she ran out to try to stop you, you had, you had an op- that opportunity to stop what you were doing, to avoid your presence here. He says, but instead you continue to steal her car and almost ran her over And at that moment, that should have triggered something in you to stop what you're doing to avoid your presence here. But you continue to speed and travel at a rate of about 80 to 90 miles an hour. Cop cars then at that time were began to pursue you. This is the judge reminding this man of what happened. Cop cars began to pursue you, but in danger of other people's lives, they held back. They stopped pursuing you, but you continue to travel at a rate of about 90 miles an hour. At that point, you should have told yourself, this is, this is stupid. You then, going traveling so fast, took a sharp left turn, going too fast, unable to control your car, and you ran in to that poor woman and that woman's daughter. And what happened was, is that man going so fast across the intersection, turning left, there was a mother and her daughter who was 16 in the driver's seat. She was um, uh, on a learner's permit. Mother was in the passenger seat. This man turned left, going too fast, rammed into their car and killed the mother. The girl was in a wheelchair They allow the kids to address the man. Kids with their letters stood before this man. And they said, sir, each one of them, you took away our mother. She'll never tell us how special we are again. She'll never help us get ready for school She'll never be there. She won't be there for us when we walk down the aisle and get married. 
She won't hold our grandchildren. You took that away from us. And one by one, each one of them shared. But at the end of when they shared, they would say, they said things like this to him. But we forgive you. Because our perfect heavenly father sent his son and he forgave us. And so we forgive you. They said things like, sir, we, instead of carrying around this grief, and we're going to carry around some grief, we're going to extend to you grace. And one of the boys stood before this man who killed his mother and said to him, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you and may the Lord shine his face upon you and give you peace. Boy, it was salty there. Man, the light that shined in that courtroom, packed courtroom, was bright. And those three young people weren't Christians. They were salt. They were light. And everybody in that room knew who they belonged to. And they were a beautiful, beautiful picture, dot connectors to a loving heavenly father who gave them the strength to offer forgiveness to the man who selfishly took their mother away. That's salt. I want that. That's light. That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. You know what the benefit are? Salt, oh, is, here's the benefits. Look at, look at it, he says, he says, those who are salt, those who are light, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. They shall be called sons of God, your reward in heaven is great. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be salt. Isn't that amazing? I want us to be light. Don't be a Christian. What is that? That's confusing. Being a disciple, it's not confusing. Being salt, not confusing. Being light, it's clear. It's clear. And that's the benefits of it. That's what radically transforms places. I hope you want that. God, um, You're very specific, very clear on what we're called to be. We're to be a preservative. 
And God, as you know, that we sometimes, trying to be a preservative, it, we sometimes come off maybe insulting or we have to sometimes be a little bold or a little forward. But that's a part of being salt. God, you call us to be light, to reflect who you are, and connect the dots, to allow people to see how good you are when we demonstrate good works, not for our own glory, but for yours, for yours. And that's not just showing up on a Sunday morning. That's every single day. Going to our workplaces or our schools or just even within our own homes, just being salt. Because salt always preserves decay. Light always always, always penetrates through the dark. God, we want to be that. We want to be that. We see it. We've seen it in time and time again. When we act as salt, when we act as light, things change. Things change. We thank you for your word, for preserving it. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be able to share it here and for it to challenge us in a way to be something different, to be something different than just Christian. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.